0: And welcome to Season 2 of Power Talk. Power Talks are sure, powerful interviews from leading youth finance experts spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. For more information on the work our charity Power The Fight does and to find out how you can help empower communities to end youth violence, please visit www.powerthefight.org.uk. Today, we are joined by gangs and systemic youth violence practitioner and Minus Violence founder, Raymond Douglas. We go behind the headlines of youth violence and look at some of the systemic issues causing the problem. Ray, thank you for coming on Power Talk. It's been a long time coming you have known each other for a long time and a lot of work that you do has just impacted how we look at youth violence, violence, full stop, the youth sector. Just explain who you are, what you're about, how we met. Give us a little bit of insight.
1: uh, Ray Douglas um, at Gangology. Gangs and systemic youth violence practitioner um, with a national remit around early intervention, behaviour change, and um, CPD for practitioners. Mm. So in terms of how we met, um nearly a decade ago now i think um you're coming up to birmingham um and 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 partaking in one of our early kind of training programs um, it doesn't seem as uh, it doesn't seem like 10 years almost but you know and we've we've just kept it real since then and and stayed stayed
0: in contact but you know i'd like to say you know gone on to become friends absolutely absolutely and I've always just respected 10 years ago, you were talking about issues around youth violence, dominant youth culture. Even then, 10 years ago, we knew there was an issue going on, mm. not just in London. You definitely opened my eyes to the wider perspective of what's going on in the UK. Um, and just some of the people you brought around the table yeah, yeah. Dr. Martin, <clears> and then, um, we had Craig Pinkney on here, you know, people who were just. Uh, now, in my opinion, some of the best people in this field. Uh, how how did you manage to gather such, I suppose, minds or on the same level, but at the same time, in your own different like lanes of bringing something very special.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think you know the conversation we always have about the <clears throat> the two trees that are born grow next to each other, and one will blossom, and the other one will die, even though they're five meters away from each other. And because of the nature of Birmingham although it's labelled the second city, it's very small. Um, Around the the city centre, a lot of deprived communities, and then the second tier of communities are kind of more affluent. So the violence around the main city, um, you you are gonna bump into people in the barbers, in the food Mm. shop, in a club. But what that also meant now, it's almost like the boot room. So although, so because Birmingham had a massive spike in in violence and it's still labelled the gone capital of the UK, what it also birthed was many kind of innovative practitioners who would see each other, who would share ideas, who would bounce kind of um, um, new innovative ways of thinking off each other. And we would support each other and grow. So, what you saw there was different people at different times of their career, um, you know, who've gone on to become international practitioners. You mentioned Craig. Um, there were so many others who were there on, on, over that weekend, that, that three day program. That are still, you know, fighting the fight. Um, mm. Even Dr. Glynn, you mentioned he wasn't Dr. Glynn then. No. So um, that's why I think Birmingham's quite unique. And there's, there's, you know, there's, a, there's there's quite a fair few practitioners who are seen as kind of nationally as, as
0: as thought leaders. And it's good that you mentioned Birmingham because what tends to happen is that when we talk about this issue, a lot of it is very London centric. Mm. And um, it'd be great if you could just give us an idea of what it is like in Birmingham, but not just in Birmingham, outside of London? Like, are the issues the same? What are the differences?
1: Yeah, so fortunately my role allows me to work nationally um, and the commonalities around the violence are very, very clear. I'm sure you've explored that numerous times, but culturally, city to city, the issues are nuanced. The conflict is nuanced. Um, the communities that you engage in with are different. So if I'm in kind of white working class Wigan tomorrow, and then the day after that I'm in Liverpool, and the day after that I'm in Manchester and then I'm back down in Devon, and you've got these different communities. What I focus on is the intersectionality of dominant youth culture, which is driven a lot by music, film, art, fashion, language. and what I've noticed working nationally is that there's this centrality around culture that's so, you know, so similar, whether it be South Asian, Pakistani, Bengali, Afro-Caribbean, African, um, white, middle class even. Um, so that's probably the, one of the best things that's happened working nationally, um, not just sitting in our city or sitting in one particular borough. Mm. That's allowed us to grow. Um, And I believe it's a skill set that not a lot of people have got. Yeah. That the only time, the first time you meet a group of people is the first day you walk in.
0: Yeah.
1: How do you impact that? How do you ensure that you leave some legacy? How do you make sure that you know you've moved the needle? Yeah. And it comes with muscle memory uh, by 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 being able to, you know, being able to travel and being able to see and and work with communities.
0: And that's it's interesting you say it because it this feels whether it's the press media, whatever you want to call it, uh, that really boxed and had this kind of binary approach to what the issue is. It's a particular type of young person from a particular type of background and they have a particular type of it, race. And we call it the black lads from the flats. The black lads from the flats. And what I heard, I think I heard you articulate this really well in Victoria Derbyshire, mm. was that actually it's becoming. You, you mentioned it earlier on, dominant youth culture. Just break down what that really means. I mean, in short,
1: a, a, um, a minority of young people are those who, they're involved in violence. Yeah. But if you look at the culture, Fashion, as I said, music, film, language. It's all interconnected. So, someone might, be, I was in a school yesterday and a teacher was sitting on a session. He said, in the middle of the session, he said, I've got a real issue with these um, young people calling me famine, blood. And I said, I, I hear that, sir, but, um, and I was saying, sir, because he's front of the children. But essentially, they're calling you family, they're saying that you're close proximity. Mm. Right, it's a term of endearment, um, and it's not to be looked down upon because that's their culture, mm. right? Um, you probably got this, you probably got some umbrage because you're a different generation, and I get that, and there's a, there's an respect element. But as I said, if I go up north, they'll say the same thing. If I go down south, they will say the same thing. That's youth culture, but the cultures that culture is often connected to gang culture, and that's not to be feared. The thing not to be feared is the violent element of it, which a majority of young people are not involved in. However, as it becomes the dominant culture, it's given a window to that culture, to those young people who historically wouldn't be involved,
0: yeah?
1: Yeah. So that's what we talk about. So um, I spent a lot of time with some medics recently, um, in recent times, um, In there, some of them will be qualified doctors now they'll drop a blood on you. Mm. They'll go to a grime concert,
0: but they have the ability to switch off. Well, that's interesting. There's something about code switching, which I've written about this um, recently where, particularly in, with black people, people of colour, we have to code switch Mm. um, in ways which maybe white majority culture do not, you know, how we are with each other, Mm. how we are with our friends and family, however, we are in a professional context, yeah. we, we're constantly having to code-switch. And therefore, when that culture then clashes with another institution or culture which is not used to this code-switching, I then sense fear, confusion, and the unknown. How much of that do you think is, a, is the problem in terms of how institutions such as school, police, uh, even the criminal justice system, struggle with engaging with minority culture. Do you feel there's a, there's a problem there? And how, do, how do we address that, two cultures clashing?
1: Yeah, I, <clears throat> I mean, you'd have to go far back to when kind of our parents came, you know, the, the overarching strategy around assimilation, which was replaced by community cohesion, which was replaced by multiculturalism. And, mm. and actually, there's no, there's no strategy now that people can buy into. Mm. Um, you know, the strategy that people are fearing the most is the Brexit kind of, you know, big society as well. What happened with that? What people, I think to answer your question, what people haven't realized is that the, back to the dominant youth culture is very, it leans on our Afro-Caribbean culture through the language, through the music, through the fashion. Um, It's just how it is. Um, our, our, Our culture is very visible. But if you look, at the, if you look historically, what, what, what's happening, this is probably the thing that I have an issue with, is our cultures look, they, it's, they extrapolate the worst parts of it. Yeah. So someone like my father, who's, who's Windrush, that generation came to this country um, with no criminal records. 97% of those men and women came to this country with a qualification and a trade. What I would be asking is why 50 years later, some of these why are you offending institutes, why is 65% BAME? Well, yes. Because our culture, that shows you the tree that we're from. We're not from the, we're, you know, we're not from a, a tree of violence and a tree of shut-in, and we're from, you know, excellence. You, when you look at those black and white pictures of people streaming off Windrush and coming into the country, look how they were dressed.
0: Mm. See, uh, absolutely, and then we got, we got asked ask the question, what shifted then? Exactly what shifted. And, so, yeah. So what did, you, what well, did well, you? Well, well, well. Here's the thing, because um, just to cut you, yeah. what all, some of my older family members yeah. would say, "Do you know what? It wasn't um, wasn't our generation yeah. when we came here in the fifties and sixties to blame the seventies and eighties, look, mm. which I have questions about, but what happened? We, yeah, which was how was were housed under the assimilation and
1: multiculturalism model, right? So we will give the Afro-Caribbean their centre, we'll give the South Asian Pakistanis their centre, the Irish can have a centre, the Polish can have a centre, but you're actually not learning from each other, you're living in silos. Yeah. What this generation of young people have done is bypassed all that, and what are our commonalities? Well, the music, the language, the fact that we're struggling for identity. Mm. What is the Britishness? You know. Why is, you know, all these conversations that young people will, will, will not formally have, but work through. Yeah. So, for me, it's about developing that belonging. Now, the problem alongside that though is, is it's gone the full circle. We were, okay, this area, this postcode, this road is my belonging because you don't belong in the wider infrastructure, you don't see yourself in places of power, you don't see yourself in places of policy, you don't see yourself in places of change, so I'm going to own this, and in some
0: cases, they'll die for it. So, it's interesting, you've spoken a little bit about music and media. Ten years ago, you were the first person I know who coined the phrase murder media. Um, Pre-trap. Pre-trap, pre-drill. All of that, yeah. UK rap going number one in the yep. charts. Yeah, um, Pre-mainstream radio stations playing urban music in daytime, mm-hmm. or urban UK music daytime, murder media. Two questions. Break down what that is, that concept that you bought 10 years ago, yeah. and also what has shifted in those, in those last 10 years to either make this concept even more important now Well, I'm, I'm, you
1: know, not a lot of people know that, but, you know, I was a signed artist at 17, you know. I'm going to ask you to freestyle. So, no. I sound like Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel. But you don't want that. signed artist 17, toured with many American artists, Um, had an insight into the record industry, quite young, Um, was signed to XL, um, a subsidiary through them as well. Uh, just as a production deal, and um, then I went on to kind of, I, I, I walked away from that, went on a journey um, of searching of knowledge of self. Um, in my early 20s, retrained as a teacher, uh, adult education teacher, and, but I'd always been involved in youth work. So what I did was, as I said, back to Birmingham, you know, you have to understand back about culture. So if you think about Birmingham in the 80s, 90s, and Birmingham and surrounding, you've got things like UB40, you've got things like the specials, mm. yeah? Now I think you've got the, the football hooligans and the Zulus, mm. multi-ethnicity uh, cultures. And you think about this, you know, as a Chelsea fan that you are, you know, if you think about um, um, Birmingham and the Zulus were seen as the first multi, multi-ethnicity football hooligan yeah. firm, right? people from other towns had never seen anything like it, where you'd come off the train and you'd see black, white, Asian, Chinese, mixed race, steaming in. Right? So likewise with the, the, our understanding of culture, on your road and where you lived, you'd have, it be reflective on like that. You'd mix, mm. communities would, would, you know, you'd have your South Asian, Pakistani friends, you'd have your white mates, you'd have your black mates, you know, um, so you see it in the music, you see it in the culture. But also you see in in some of the communities that, so where we're from, the part of Birmingham we're from, historically you'd always hear around Handsworth and Newtown, Mm. which are the ones that have always been identified as kind of the most uh, active uh, gang kind of um, affiliated spaces. But we're from the other side of the city, um, where you had more guys who were into earners, dancers, rowers, yeah, Zulus Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, but at Birmingham's still a very small place, so with no traffic, you can drive in and out within ten minutes on, on, on a quiet night. I've, I've never experienced that. Exactly. In out of
0: Birmingham, 10 <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So
1: it's back to you know. You know, I'm a, I'm a real kind of fan of Malcolm Gladwell, and it talks yes. about um, tipping points. Yeah. So the gang situation in Birmingham is 30, 30 years and change old. It's not like ten years, you know. And going back to what you were saying is. What it allowed us to learn very quickly and have an understanding of culture and um, how it changes communities. So where I'm from, particularly, there were like three or four, five, six signed artists in that night. It's just in my yeah, in your union, yeah, yeah, in, my, in, my, in around people you bump into because mm. um, you're allowed to innovate. Bringing it forward to what you're saying about about me mentioning ten years ago what music is going to do and currently doing it was because you don't lose the artistic gene mm. so if you go back to the rave era for example and and, and uh, so on the side effect of the rave era was class A drugs then it moved out of kind of techno into rave into jungle what started happening in the jungle era started getting a little bit violent mm-hmm. um, jams started getting closed down People still love the culture, but for all it's getting a bit rough in there, let's go over to the drum and brace. The jungle crew
0: kind of went where it did, and then what's birthed out of that culture? Well, what came out of that was UK Garage. And I only went to UK Garage because that's where the girls were. There you and go. And then huh? that started becoming violent. Okay. So the progeny, if you go
1: back, all right, and back to even Afro Caribbean culture, um, you know. People often think you know that everyone was into dancehall. So, yeah. our, gen- our parents' generation, they weren't in- generation. Mm-hmm. They were into that. wasn't where they're from. They were. I would argue some of weren't even into Bob Marley. Yeah. They're like John Holt and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know Nat King Cole and mm-hmm. you know they're on a different you know. So, so understanding where we've come, what I saw ten years ago was hold on a minute. Every other track I'm hearing is is promoting violence. I get it, but. Let's, for example, talk about American, Uh, let's talk about Queens. Mm. As much as Queens is very similar to some of the places in London, you'd have Nas, you'd have um, um, CNN, but you'd also have Run DMC, you'd also have a Tribe Called Quest. So you've got four different artists from the same area, speaking about their lens, different, you know, Run DMC, never swear what on a record. Mm. People don't realize that, mm. you know, we don't need to get into tri Quest, Naz and, and, mm. and, and you know, Onyx, they're all from the same area queens, yeah, yeah, sure. but all had a different message. But what I was starting to see is, hold on, why is everybody talking about mm. bossing their gun? Why is everybody talking about the trap? Why is everybody talking about I'll run up in your mum's yard? Why, why, where, where, are the, where are the tribes? Mm. Where are the, you know mm. where you know what I'm saying? Where are the kind of street disciple type? Okay, I'm road, but I'm conscious. But then the dominant culture became more of that. So when you saw me talking about that 10 years ago, most people like, I don't know where you're going with this, Ray. Mm. 10 years on, <laughs> I'm in primary schools, and children are telling me the name of trap artists that I, they're not even the mainstream, they're talking about these underground ones, and I'm looking mm. at these little eight, nine, 10 year olds, because they
0: listen to it from their older siblings or you know the YouTube or whatever. How much is that, sorry to, to, to jump in, but how much is that to do with technology? So, if you take, when I was growing up, when I was like 15, mm-hmm. you did, you're right, there was a tribe, you could listen to Triangle Quest, you could also listen to Dr Dre, mm-hmm. you know, um, and you're listening to Wu-Tang mm-hmm. as well, and you can listen to your Nas, but I'm in my house in South East London, these guys are in Queens, LA, whatever, Whereas now, I always say two things have, have changed. Proximity to, uh, from artist to consumer has closed down, got, got closer in this country in the sense of now, when you're taking your Stormzies and your J-Hussies and all these other artists, the likelihood is that you know what state they came from, what area they came from, um, in a way that I didn't have that kind of connection with the artist. So that's one thing where I'm saying as technology kind of shifted that closer. The other thing is just, as technology also made it a lot easier for people to just make music. So when I used to run a record label in 2004, you know, the idea of, okay, you record the track, uh, you master the track, mm. you press the track, yeah. you try and get it into a record shop. By the time you even made one pound, you've spent, oh, and the video, yeah. what goes on Channel U, you've, yeah. you've done almost two grand. Mm. Nowadays it's like, well, I can do this in my room, I can do that in my room, I can shot something on my, on my iPhone, and I can upload it to many different social media, and six months' time I've got half a million views. How much has that kind of cha- yeah, made the well, impact? Well, yeah, really good point,
1: but one thing you can't lose sight of, that it's a false economy. Yes. So a million views actually don't mean anything. Because it doesn't generate a
0: million
1: pounds. Right? <laughs> so you you have got this false economy where the industry, unless you're doing high numbers, and the high numbers are generating bookings, and the bookings are generating merchandise and all this kind of stuff. And you know, obviously the streams, but do the maths on what kind of streams you'd need to get a real uh, you know, solid, is not it? Right. So, and this is me speaking to an artist yesterday who's he's touched a million or touching a million right now, um, is that false economy that we're talking about, the industry, is, is one element. But in pursuit of that, the music's got more violent. See, people always ask me, is is music the reason? It's not the reason, but it reinforces,
0: yeah? Mm. M- music's not the reason, but it reinforces. But here's an mm-hmm. here's argument, here's, so it's good, We can have the conversation, but the argument would be that some people I know, my age range, um, are a touch younger than you, not much, but like, would say that, you know, in the 90s, we had Notorious BRG. So I did an experiment the other day. I listened to, uh, I think it was Life After Death, because I wanted to see whether or not, actually, is the music, you know, Life After Death, Notorious BRG's second album, well, let's see, if is that as violent as some of the stuff which we're hearing today? If I'm honest, that album's a violent album. It's a very violent album. But it's a hack. Gone? It's a hack because you've got hardcore lyrics over R and B. Ah, uh, okay. So it's not threatening. So I can dance to it in the club with, yeah, with, with it. my woman,
1: but right. yeah, I'm not Yeah, it might me. get played at a christening, it might get played at a party. It might you understand? It's a hack. That was the hack. That how do you get it into the mainstream but keep the rawness? Right. A lot of the artists now are doing the same thing. So if you hear some of the sounds, and I'm, you know, I don't want to go too far into this, but I'll ask people to go away and study sound. Mm. Go and study it. You know, when was the last time you heard a death metal song on Radio 1? On Drive Time? It's still a big seller, right? Mm. But sound is something, frequency, you know, the neuroscience behind it. So, with that, things like that album, and funny enough, I've never heard the album. Mm. I've heard some parts from it. I'm not going to recommend it. No, no, but you get me from a case study perspective. Yeah.
0: And that's what we see now the hack has happened here, yeah. where you've got the softer sound with the harder lyrics. And it's a good point because that, you know, without trying to get too deep, that album was produced uh, by Puffy, P. Diddy, Bad Boy at that point. I think the statistics show that in 97, 80% of all radio play in America came from a bad boy production line, one of their producers, so you got to understand that level of influence to get on radio where they're, they're sampling Dino Ross, and the sampling Jackson the 5, and they're sampling anything with a, with a soul beat. Yeah. But let's go back to someone who, and some people who I kind
1: of came up through listening to. So when you hear the Ten Crack Commandments, think about that, you know, allegedly Chuck D was furious, right? Because they've sampled his voice. Premier's sampled his voice. The 10 crack commandments, right? Now think about that. What you're teaching, right? Through that, beats fat, the cutting's amazing by DJ Premier as always, but you're teaching the 10 crack commandments, right? So likewise, now fast forward, but is it radio friendly? Yes, right? We, but in the UK, it wasn't. they weren't there yet. Mm. It, it was still coming out of kind of like a, 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 the, the era. Now in 2019, me and you are sitting here, there's tons of Ten Crack Commandments all over there, mm. a, a similar version. Of course. What does that do? What does that say to us? Does it, what, in terms of our moral compass, in terms of our value base, in, in terms of how it promotes black rage, in terms of how it promotes the killing of, um, primarily amongst, you know, black youth, And we know it affects all other communities. So, back to the word, it's not the reason, but does it reinforce? Mm. Right? Um, I'm in a birthday party, December, true story. They've got an entertainer, you know, they do the clan stuff and the balloons, right? So I'm sitting there. I'm already, like, don't want to be there because I don't think we should have... No, <laughs> I don't think you should have a one-year-old birthday party because the one-year-old doesn't know they're there. They're just it's, getting passed around. Yeah, but
0: it's never for the one-year-old, yeah, right? exactly. It's, it's always for the to shine.
1: And when there's Prosecco around, you know it's definitely not <laughs> yeah, for the one right. so year old so then tables start moving. <laughs> okay. Chairs are getting put back to back. True story, I'm sitting there, what's going on here now? And we got all these three, four, five-year-olds running around, um, running around, getting prepared. They go over to the... Um, the, the entertainer goes over to the... the the amplifier, whatever it was, they're putting a uh, man's not heart on. Mm-hmm. So when the kids are singing along to it, that girls are ockers, the tingle, scrap the, the the all these other things, yeah? Yeah, we know it's a it's a spoof and a parody and all that kind of stuff, but you've got toddlers, they're not singing Ring of Ring of Roses, which they should be at that age. Mm. They're not singing, you know, all the was classics. Was
0: on the bus. Yeah?
1: Mm. They're talking about. The thing goes scrap. These are toddlers and I'm watching this. Yeah. Right? So, are we saying that that's not going to have effect on children? Of course. The misogyny in there, the violence in there, is that what we're saying? Mm. And I'm happy to be challenged on it, but go and see what the academics say. Mm. In order for violence to blossom, you have to plant the seeds. Just like the opposite of that, the reverse
0: engine it. In order for peace to blossom, you plant the seeds mm. for peace. Well, I mean, I think you, you touched on something because there's been people even on uh, Power Talk who've basically challenged that notion to say, well, it's not really the music. And the focus too much on, on young black kids making drill ignores the wider issues poverty, austerity, um, school exclusions, the government. A lot of people would say all this type of stuff. But what you're kind of saying is actually, while well, well, that's all, I'm not denying that's not true. I think what I find is that we don't want to, and I always say, when we say the black community, we're not, it's not binary, it's not a monolith, so even that, we have to be careful what we're saying when we say the black community. But we've got to look at ourselves, haven't we? And say, what are, what are the seeds that we plant? You've got to, of course you've got to do housekeeping. But people yeah. don't, don't want to do that housekeeping. You've do so. housekeeping.
1: When I'm in Liverpool and there's white working class gangs up there, or I'm in different parts of the country, you've got to do housekeeping. For me, you know, the, the the benchmark is this, what we're doing is it raising the consciousness.
0: Mm.
1: Right? When other communities are um, building, right? And when other communities are um, not seeing the levels of violence that that we're seeing, when I say we, a royal we, mm. right? You're saying there's no introspection? Are you saying that there's no housekeeping that we need to do, mm. right? I work in prisons. You know, not and 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 I don't like working in prisons. Not because what we're doing doesn't have impact, is because I don't want to get compassion fatigue for seeing young black men locked up. Mm. Right? In some of the, you know, some, you know, some of the statistics, some of the things that you see. Right? So how are we gonna resolve that? And the 20, approximately 20 prisons I've worked in, I've never heard Adele coming
0: out of a cell. No, like a jungle meme uh, oh, Not jungle if, you memes. know,
1: and, and apparently, you know, men do listen to it, which turn on at night when they're reflecting. But my point is, you know, I'm saying, you know, <laughs> are we gonna, does it, what are we doing? Does it raise our consciousness? Yeah. Right? Ultimately, that's what it's about. Yeah. You know, does it raise our consciousness? Life expectancy. Does it change our situation? So all the things around, you know, we, you talk about woo and stuff like that. But that that classic lyric, you know, might, like like, like when you talk about like black unemployment, mm. you know, all the things, and the intro, the woo is like a lot of us. You've got different conscious, yeah. so you've got the jizz. You're the jizz one day, but you might be old be another day. But the other day, you might be, yeah, you yeah. might be mm. a, a, a red skin method mm. kind of flip, you know. You're giving it, mm. yeah. The different, you know, he looks at the different conscious of the human. I'm saying, does it raise our consciousness? Yeah. When I'm seeing, um. Every other track referring to licking down a man, nigger this, shooting, mm. that. does it raise our conscience? But you know, they've got one gospel track on that album, so that's all right. I don't think, you know, um, that's I, d- I don't know, I, yeah, I get that, but I think, I think for me, right now, everyone can have their opinion. But when you're working with the families and when you're working with, the, you're working with guys behind the door mm. and when you're working with little kids who are seeing violence as the first option, right? Of course, all those other things that you mentioned are valid and they're important. You know, you can't, you can't. It, it's interesting because, you know, the gentrification of youth violence has happened now. So now that music is, the ch- is pop music. So when you're looking at the festival footage, and you're looking into the crowds, it's not the black lads from the flats who are spending £150 for the weekend,
0: just on the ticket, and all of those young people and those people in the crowd know the lyrics verbatim. Well, do you know, this is a fascinating point, because I, I was talking to somebody else about this recently, That, and I think it's probably your generation, you talked about that you were signed, um, and if you were going to be signed back in the day, you'd have to have done like your, uh, your rites of passage, and from a garage and grind perspective, your rights of passage was, you better be able to MC in a youth club, you better be able to hold it down in private radio, or then you better be able to hold it down in a rave, and then you better release something, and let's see what the response is like on Channel U, then you'll get signed. Whereas now what you're seeing is that people are getting signed, so there's an artist, I won't name, who had one hot track and then was doing 80,000 at Wembley and struggled. And you're kind of like, well, I wonder why, because somewhere along the line, whether it's the rites of passage or, you know, just that that training um, disappeared. So I suppose the concern for me is that everything now becomes very easy, but the point you made about festivals, I find it astonishing that wireless, for example, will have some of these artists, and I look at the, you know, not that I've ever gone to wireless, that's not true, I have gone back in 2007 before like, you know, you saw black artists really on there. Yeah. But now you've got drill artists. And I'm like, what, he only came out last month. Yeah, and and, and, and the I, can't, I can't quite work out how this has happened. Do you know how I explain
1: it? It's like when you go to a really expensive gourmet burger place, right? And you know as soon as you see those lights, you know stuff's about to get expensive. And you make your order and then they bring the burger out with the basket fries, and the burger served on slate. And You didn't ask why is my burger on slate? You didn't. You haven't asked. Is the lead in that slate? <laughs> You've just picked up your burger and eaten, eaten it, right? But it's still a burger. So what they've done is been able to package that genre, the corporates, to sell back because it was an it, it's an industry that was dying. Hmm. Now, you know, in the the corporate world, you've got a thing called CSR, corporate social responsibility. And people often talk about fair trade and talk about, you know, ethical purchasing and, you know, farmer to table, right? And all that kind of stuff, right? There's no CSR in music. Mm. These corporate companies who are pushing that violence, where's your, you know, corporate social responsibility is not you going and painting a youth club It's about what are you promoting? What are you making money off? Mm. And if it's after the death of young people, that's not corporate social responsibility. Mm. So they're so far removed from the reality of what's happening on the streets Mm. because now they have to get a piece of that industry. That industry who, those artists will tell you themselves, and it's interesting we're having a wider conversation about the murder media. Those artists who started out, um, uh, you know, on the grind early, kept it, you know, 100, they moved across to pop music, right? Who They openly say themselves, mm. now we've gone back, back. Yes. to the origin.
0: Yeah.
1: There's been three waves. On this wave, the corporates have stepped in.
0: Yes.
1: And now they can put fire under it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which means that it becomes, we hear me talking about the forest fire. Yes. Yeah, so the forest fire now, what you're seeing, because when I go, I don't know, some of these small towns where we're working, the young people are dressing exactly the same as in my city, your city. Mm. The music's the same, the language is the same. Mm. The, 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 one of the pluses of that is people are more open to diversity. Yes, yes. Diversity, but a majority
0: of people who, 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 who buy into it, they have the switch off, they we well, have the counter narrative. But well, here's the problem though, I think you're right. Because a man in Devon, can now listen to one extra in the same way a man in central London in the state in east London you can do it right like, you you do have diversity but diversity does not equal inclusion no, because there's a difference between you pull back your curtains and you see
1: cows and you pull back your curtains and you see man trapping and gangs yeah 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 right yeah so the counter narrative is what helps If you're going back to a nice leafy community, if you're going back to double income families, Mm -hmm. if you're going back to a school that's achieving, that when you land at that school, that school says to you,
0: "Round here we get 10 A's. It's different to the school where you go, just get five A to C's. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a fair point, but do you think there needs to be, so you talk about corporate responsibility and we can look at different firms and and different organisations. Does there need to be corporate responsibility uh, for the radio selectors? and the DJs. Because ultimately, and also, not just there, but I don't know what it was like when you got signed, whether they assigned you an A&R, or somebody to help you. Yeah, the chaperone. Yeah, chaperone and mentor you and, you know, make sure you don't go X, Y, and Z. When I see certain artists still getting caught up in certain situations which result in jail terms and all this, I have to ask the question, where's the role models, and mentors around them. I don't see it as much. But what I do see is older people who are DJs, gatekeepers, who you could argue keep exploiting. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: You're talking about Westwood, right? Well, you know, I was trying to be a little bit, yeah, I mean, polite, I mean I we can,
1: can talk about him and drop it on him. I mean, me. there's this three simple things for me. If you're a 61-year-old male, private school educated, your dad was a bishop, right? You have no right to be bringing inner city young people into your studio to reinforce that level of violence. Where's the pro-social muddling, mm. right? Um, you know, it's well documented, the history of people like that who were early adopters around hip hop, American hip hop, and, and, and some of the founding kind of thought leaders around British hip hop. Mm. But we're talking about 2019 now, right? And as part of our culture of people of colour and being African-centred on top of that, is that there's, we talk, you mentioned about the rites of passage, but as elders, you have to bring young people through. Mm. It's part of our culture, mm. right? We all, none of us are angels, none of us are perfect, we learn, but when I'm seeing that from elders, right? I don't recognise that as a man of colour.
0: Yeah, and I agree with you because it hurts me to see, as an older, as an elder in, as a father in the community—not just my own children, father of the community—doing things and seeing young people being used like that in a way I would never do. But there's a thing called child violence exploitation, right?
1: And sociologically, we have to start asking these questions about. You know, no one's saying that it's not an, you, their art form, your art form. No one's, you know, we don't critique the the, 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 the art in that sense. What we're saying, what I'm, people like myself are saying is, kids are getting lowered into the ground. Mm. They're not even seeing their 18th birthday, right? And they're not coming back. They're not coming back. So back to what I said originally about raising the consciousness. Raising the consciousness means we want these young men, primarily, and girls, and and these other communities, we want them to see adulthood. And anyone stopping them from seeing adulthood needs to be checked, Mm. right? Needs to be checked, because I would rather see, well, okay, you bring them into the studio, but how about getting them a job in in marketing, Mm. getting them an internship, right? Yeah, teach them how to be an engineer, the engineer always lasts longer than the the person on the mic hundred percent right now back to violence exploitation and if it's not for me to convince people it's for to see well let's look at the fruits right a tree is known by its fruits so if young people are on those platforms and they're dying they're being murdered who's paying for their funerals
0: Yeah.
1: you know people like you know who, who who bringing them in and clearly say, oh, but Ray, it's giving the youth them a platform. Okay, it's giving the youth them a platform. But giving them a real platform is giving them sustainability. Yes. That's Absolutely. the platform yeah. I want to see, yeah. the sustainability. Because, as I said, the false economy, yeah. you get caught up in views. Views don't always equal dough, mm. right? It mm. gives you exposure. Yeah. And I think, for me, um, more and more, I'm passionate about that same thing. How do you build peace?
0: Mm.
1: You know, and, and, and the fortunate thing in my role, I've been able to work in schools, in prisons, work with families, work with people who are, you know, who are former bangers. And my message has always been the same how do we measure distance travelled? How do we get you from here to here?
0: Mm.
1: Because if I haven't got you from here to here, then I have to look at myself as a practitioner. There's got to be a time when you say to me, Ray, I don't need you again, you know. Absolutely. Yeah? And that's all. We we all have a role to play, whether you're the DJ, whether you're the teacher, whether you're the pastor, the imam, we all have a role to play.
0: What's interesting you said that. I mean, what I wanted to just quickly touch on, because as always, we're going to need a part two. This time we'll come to Birmingham and um, do it in, in your neck of the woods. But one of the things I've done in Power Talk season one was that I... I interviewed pastors of uh, different denominations and to give just a, a perspective of what the church is doing and what the church isn't doing and what we can improve on. And I know that you work with a variety of faith groups. Mm. Uh, just give us a bit of a perspective. I mean, I, as a pastor, I know a lot about what's going on in the church community. Yeah. What, what, how does, you know, the Muslim community the Hindus, Sikh, even Jewish community, how, how are they responding to this issue? Is there stuff we can learn from, in your experience? Yeah. Well, I think we have to go back
1: and remind people that, f- that that youth work was founded in the faith community in this country, um, you know. People might not recognise it, but, you know, the Cobbs and the Scouts and the Boys Brigades and all these, and William Bolden, mm. you know. Um, generically, across all faiths, I don't believe they're doing enough. If you just look at the social capital, if if you look at the spaces that faith groups own, right? If you look at the income generated through tides, through zakat, through sadaqah, if you look at the knowledge equity in the congregations, right, and I say this to people and some people don't like it, but it is what it is. Something you can't pray your way out of. It warrants action. Even scripture tells you that, whatever faith you follow, right? It warrants action. And if the only time faith groups are turning up is to bury the dead, then I don't, ha- I don't understand what scripture that is. So, and uh, as we look across, you know, I, I, as you said, I mentioned, you know, visited many a faith group and then worked with them around different things. And someone said, oh, have you seen the chandelier? We flew that in from so-and-so, um, you know, it's 40 bags. Mm. But have you, got a, have you got a part-time youth worker here? I'm not interested in your carpet. I'm not interested in the carpet. If you're in a hotspot spot area, yeah. and guns bossing, and you don't have a youth worker, mm. you don't have a youth space, and we're, not, we're going beyond pool and table tennis. And here's another thing as well, let's put an additional thing on top of that. There's a difference between youth work and working with young people. If you're working with your congregation's children, that's working with young people. But if you go over to the road to them man there who are shutting. I say, look, once a week we cook a food over here, you know. Just come and plug in. Not put down that food, bro, you're going to hell. <laughs> mm.
0: This space is available for you, yeah. even if you just want to talk. But you're talking a lot about relationship, which is massively important. Um, you're talking about resources. What a lot of faith groups will say to me is that, when we've got the heart, but we haven't got the knowledge, and, and we're not knowing how to be equipped. So then you sometimes say, oh, cool, well, guess what? the fight particularly can do and other organizations we can equip and train you but even within that and there's hundreds of faith groups we have trained there's still a resistance because what i find with faith groups in particular the idea of collaboration and partnership and also acknowledging we haven't all we haven't got the answers we haven't got all the answers i think it's scary for some faith groups, because they're like, well, hold on, what, you're me to get knowledge from outside the scripture? Even though from a Christian perspective, there's this thing called common grace where we believe everybody has got something to bring to the, to the table. But what I find is that so many faith groups are, are resistance because it's like nervous. And it's a shame because if I was like that, we would not have met. If I was like that, the partnership approach which Power Fight brings to the table would not be working.
1: We just lost three teenagers in 10 days the murder scenes of 2.4 miles between them, right? Three in 10 days, right? And there was a big conversation around the role of of faith groups. And what it shows me is people don't, this isn't complex. The, The starting point is to be present. That's it. You got it. Are you present? You don't have to be a systemic gangs therapist and have all the understanding about trauma and all the understanding around you know, the, the, the neuroscience of, of violence and criminal, criminology and murder media and academia. Just be present because the human-to-human connection is what will always be enough. Mm. Working in London for many years, I always say this to you. I used to talk to people on the tube because in my culture, from a Birmingham perspective, I can't be nose to nose with someone for 40 minutes and I don't say, how you doing, mate? Where you off to today? And remember, like, no, you can't speak to people on the tube. <laughs> culture. Yeah. And once we start removing the human to human, just be present. Mm. Be present. Mm. That's it. And our, as faith communities,
0: are we present? You know what, that's a fair point. Um, we're coming to the time when we need to. Yeah, yeah. But I always say this, you know, if there's anything that, you know, you want to leave a nugget of wisdom, the whole thing's been, like, riveting, and I've known you for long enough to know that anything you touch, when you touch Mike, it's, it's, it's serious stuff. Anything you want to just finish on, anything where you feel like, you know what, I just want to touch on this quickly, or just... Yeah, I think, I think, I think we're in an interesting time, because as I said, our, our relationship is 10 years old, mm.
1: and some of the things you heard us and myself and some of our team saying back then has come to fruition. Um, and just like, just like a lot of the music's being gentrified, so is the sector. Hmm. And people talk about a public health response to violence, but there's, there's, there's two words missing, a community-centred public health response to violence, right? You, with this agenda, you cannot parachute in Right, Throw a few plasters on things and bail. Because you've got to, I really believe you've got to have some equity in the community that you're serving. Not that you're the same ethnicity, not that you're the same equity. If you want to change these communities, you have to have, and and this comes out of working nationally, you have to bring communities on the journey with you. Public health, the the, the concept of a public health um, response has almost been hijacked. We're back to the burger on the slate. Mm. Now it's been packaged. But how can you work in some of these communities? If I took you to the local dumpling shop, you're gonna start shaking. Mm. How are you gonna work with communities? If the communities themselves don't know who you are or your organization or what you stand for or what your ethos is, mm. you can look amazing in the bid, you can look amazing online, but when it comes to in the trenches, and not every, communi- not every organization is a trench-based organization, but we're talking about building backup communities, communities that have, have been hurt, are full of trauma, communities that have been let down, um, communities that have got geniuses in them, but they don't realize it, some of them, communities that now are, are you know, so embedded around, around violence. Mm. So I would say is, unless your work is not community-centered, that doesn't mean it's in a community center, let me be clear, community centered. If you don't have buy-in from those communities, mm. it's not gonna work.
0: And that comes back down to the relationship, isn't it? And, and Visibility, and, and, yeah. relationship, and you know,
1: if, if, if we can't hear or see a, you after five o'clock, mm. then we're back to the American word, the projects.
0: Mm.
1: And these communities aren't projects. Mm. Um, and, and one other final thing, um, I think as I think the one of the biggest problems is we're adults advocating for a youth problem, and we have to start now. I be bringing through these young leaders. So you take the example of the the the, the marching against climate change. You've got ten thousand young people marching against climate change because they're saying, hold on a minute, is this what's going to happen in fifteen years time? And people would argue, the cynics would say, yeah, but it's adults pushing them. There's, I don't find a The problem with adults steering them, pushing them is different, steering them. What would happen if every other week we had 10,000 young people marching against knife crime? Yeah. And I'm not advocating them bunking off school,
0: but what I'm saying is young people standing up and saying, this is enough, you'd start to see the change. I I think it's a fascinating point. I mean, when I was watching that Extinction Rebellion, I said to some of my white middle-class friends, boy, when you really want to get in the mix, you really do. You know, you galvanise and mobilise and you get professional. I heard, I'm, I can't remember how long it was. Maybe it was two weeks they were shutting down London. By that time, they raised £180,000 just from donations coming in. And it got me thinking exactly on those lines. What would that look like if we could somehow mobilise young people to be in the mix in the same way? And I think that is a, a longer conversation, but I think you're onto something. Yeah, because you've got to move away from projects to movements. Oh, one hundred. This is what it's about. These
1: projects, mm. right, are kind of like dropped in the ocean. But movements, when you when you build peace, when you build resilience, when you build a, a, a culture of, you know what, this is our future now, yeah. right? Ultimately, it means that me and you are no longer relative, um, relevant, mm. yeah, right? no, oh, yeah. And and that's fine. Yeah, that's that's the handover. Mm. Um, that's the pro-social modelling. That's the elders being told, we don't need you any longer. Thank you, we've got it from here, to coin a tri Quest mm. phrase. Mm. And that's what we need to see more of. Mm. Movement building, right? Um, and and if, if we, this last 18 months, where you've seen what's happening, where kind of non-traditional communities now, their young people are falling victim to violence, right? Young people from leafy suburbs, grammar schools, Mm. you know, they're all our children, Yes, right? And I'm not just kind of saying, uh, to to, to philosophise it, they're all our children. We, uh, um, You know, and and the beautiful thing, when I walk into some of these towns who are up north, and I step in, I know they've never seen someone as big and hairy as me. (laughs) But you know when someone, a kid contacts you, or a family contacts you through email or for... And they, they find you, not even, they find you and say, you know what, there's something that you said to me yeah. that
0: I'm gonna take forward in my life, right? Mm. Be present. Right, as um, a practitioner, but more as a friend, it's always just a privilege just to hear you speak. You bring so much knowledge. Um, and also a lightness. Even though we deal with a very dark situation, you bring a light to it. Keep going. You are part of power to fight. Bro. Thank you, King, man. Spit, man. Yeah, man, you you're done goes? already. So, yeah. Yeah.